And it feels like to me that um, sort of COVID has been this kind of massive sort of reset button, you know, that, that, that everything got switched off and everything got switched back on again. You know, we're all familiar with that kind of swirling beach ball uh, uh, on our computers. And, and sometimes you think, how do I get rid of that? And I just, you just have to switch it off, switch it back on again. And it feels like life very much for us has been kind of switched off and we're switching it back on again and, and, and kind of rebooting it. And then when, 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 anything's, when everything reboots, it's almost like you know, it goes back to the kind of basic settings. And, and, and the question we're asking perhaps is, you know, what are the basic settings of life? You know, what is the good life and how do I live it? What is the good life and how do I live it? And, and, it, and in one sense, the Sermon on the Mount answers that question. It, it, it defines the good life of the kingdom, life in the kingdom of God, life under uh, the good rule of Jesus Christ. And, and, and how do we live it? It's an incredibly practical uh, uh, set of teaching. And I think in one sense, it, it's really important for us because I think as we've reset, we've asked the kind of uh, the work-life balance question. Uh, and I don't really like the phrase work-life balance. Please don't hear me. It's not that I, don't want, I want people to work all the time. But this idea is that, 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 that work is this thing and life is this thing. You know, as if, as, if, as if what you're doing in work is not really life. If life is some sort of other thing that you do. You know, when you're not being told what to do and you get to be free and you get to have your leisure. And I've, and I've observed, actually, that kind of discussion... Um, is happening about church as well. People are like saying, well, we need to have a church life balance, you know. Oh, I don't want to do too much church. I don't want too many meetings. I was talking to a guy on, on Friday who run, uh, leads a church in Oxford, and, and he was saying, you know, we're trying to reduce the amount of meetings because people are trying to get the balance. And I think, yeah, no, totally. We're trying to do that at God first. In fact, we're trying to lean into community. We're trying to lean into let's eat together. So please do sign up to have Chinese food. You know, we couldn't make it more easy for you to be together. You know, if you want to sign up to do meals together, that's great. But we're trying to, we're trying to create community. But there's this idea, oh, I'm just, I want to have my life separate from, from church. And, and, and the Sermon on the Mount says, no, actually, that the life of a disciple of Jesus, you know, it's not separate from being in the community of Jesus and how we relate with our friendships and our time and our money and when we fall out with people. It's kind of doing that. So it felt like it's a really, it would be a good sermon, uh, good sermon series for us to look at how do we, how do we live life in the kingdom of God. And, and so what, we're gonna, what I'm going to look at this morning is, is basically Jesus' invitation into the life of the kingdom and its incredibly uh, familiar verses. So let's read. It's Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 12. Uh, again, you, you've probably, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen this on a tea towel or something, where have you been? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples, important to to note that word, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, you could even say it with me, couldn't you, but don't. Blessed are the pure in spirit, Uh, Luke just says, sorry, the poor, Luke just says the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, some of the most famous words ever uttered, your famous words. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just uh-huh this morning, but Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd, you'd speak, to, speak them afresh to us. Lord, take them off the engraved tablets and posters and write them on our hearts. Lord, teach us again what it is to draw near, to be invited into the life of the kingdom and And let us say amen to that. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this teaching's so familiar. It's 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 called often called the Beatitudes. uh, And and Beatitudes just means Latin it's Latin for blessing. Uh, you know, so so it just means blessed or be happy. So we've got a list of, of 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 nine things to be blessed or be happy with. And that's why they make their way onto this. This is on I think there's a website called Esti, is it Esti? Etsy. I can never pronounce it. It's where you buy these cool things that you can't buy on the high street. What's it called again? Etsy. Etsy. So this is on Etsy for $4.99 if you want it. You, you know, you get a nice little thing that you can put on your wall. Uh, and the Beatitudes, it's amazing. I was looking for kind of quotes about the Beatitudes. I found three American presidents who said, if we, if this nation, obviously we think about the United States this weekend particularly, not just because of Emma Raducanu, but because of what happened uh, 20 years ago, but, but you know, the American presidents, you know, uh, Harry Wilson, Roosevelt, have, have all said, you know, if we, if we could just understand as a nation what it is to live the Beatitudes, that the, the nation would be transformed. And we're, the, the, this, these kind of teachings are everywhere, the Beatitudes are everywhere. And, and the typical interpretation is this that these are moral qualities that you should aspire to that qualify you to be blessed. Let me say that again. That these, these are moral qualities, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, mourning, meek, are moral qualities that, that you should aspire to and then you'll be blessed. That's the typical understanding. And, and if you think about it, you know, the, the way that, that this would normally be preached is, right, come on right now, you need to be merciful. Come on, there's lots of people out there who need mercy. Lots of people out there need mercy ministry. Come on God first, let's get a mercy ministry going. And then if we do that really well, you might receive mercy from God. And, and you can think, well, that, that kind of might, might work. Or you could say, right, come on, I want you to be really meek now. Okay, just let's try. Okay, let's just concentrate. Let's kind of, I'm working on my meekness. Think, you are useless. <laughs> and you know, some of you find it really easy, I know. But some of you think, what? You know, but you know, think, I'm trying to be meek. I'm going I'm to be like Moses. I'm the most humble man on the face of the earth. It doesn't really work, does it? Or if you can say, right, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself really sad now. I'm going to really make myself sad. You know, I mean, what qualifies as being mourning and comforted? You know, obviously, we understand that, that God is the comforter who comes close to us, and, and we understand that in mourning, God does come close to us. But, but, you know, it's almost like, well, okay, isn't it great if you have a sad life? You know, I mean... 
okay, we, we, we want to be comforted. I want the Holy Spirit to come near me and comfort me, so I need to be sad. I mean, what do you need to be sad about? You know? Leeds will lose this weekend. Am I going to be comforted? Is that what it's saying? You know, I mean, what, what, what kind of level of mourning are, are we looking for? But, or even, even most ridiculously, right, I need to get myself persecuted. If I can get myself persecuted, then I'm, I'm going to be, and then I'm going to be blessed. Then the kingdom of heaven is going to be mine. You know, I'm going to go around. I'm going to be extremely annoying. You know, I'm, I'm going to kind of tell people everywhere that they're going to hell, and I'm going to, I'm going to step on all the kind of social norms that are kind of really difficult. Instead of navigating that with nuance, I'm going to get it out there, and I'm going to be persecuted, and then I'll be blessed. Is that is that what is that what it's saying? No, it's not, is it? It's not saying that these are, these are things that you need to do to earn. The blessed are not those who earn a reward because of some meritous condition. Not because of their tears or their powerlessness or their own even hunger for righteousness or mercy or purity of heart. Purifying heart, pure, pure, more pure, more. You know, no, it, no, or their peacemaking. These are not a spiritual bar that Jesus is raising higher and higher so that you can then get blessed. No, the gospel is the blessing of God's kingdom for free, unearned, unmerited, unworked for. The Bible calls that grace. It's unmerited favor. The gospel is that God blesses you for free. He blesses the pure in heart and he blesses the impure in heart. He, he, he forgives the impure in heart and then blesses them. He, he, you know, those that struggle and get angry, he blesses them, not because of their anger, but he blesses them because he loves, as we said last week in the last part of last sermon, he loves to be the giver. You, blessing is not because you deserve it or earn it, it's, it's, it's because he is good. He blesses because he loves to bless. So let's put, the first, put Jesus' words back in their first century context when he delivered them on a mountainside, like Moses on a mountainside. We'll look at that next week. Uh, and, and he delivers them on a mountainside and then understand what he's really saying, perhaps. And we get the context in Matthew uh, ch- uh, chapter 4. Uh, Matthew says, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's basically saying this is the invitation into the kingdom of heaven. This is the invitation into the good life. This is the invitation into the the kingdom under God's good rule. Turn from what you're doing and follow. And so the first people he wrote tests that message on are four fishermen. And he says, come, follow me. And he says they left their nets and followed him. And then it's interesting because what happens next is that in Mark, Mark, Matthew 4, 23 to 25, it says this, People began bringing to him, that's Jesus, all who were sick, whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralytic, or paralyzed, he helped them all, he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the ten towns from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan, say the words, followed him. Followed him. To be a disciple is to follow him. So it says they left their nets and followed him. These big crowd here followed him. And I think it's important that when we read that then, it says, so, so verse, verse five, uh, 
5 chapter, verse 1 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. How many? How many disciples? You kind of think 12, don't you? But actually at this point, there's only four called. There's only four, isn't there, at this point? So did Jesus like have a huge crowd over there and say, all right, you four, over here, would you got a little dick to sort? No, he's calling anybody who follows him. All those who followed him, he's talking to. That's the disciples that he's talking to. He's not got this little secret bunch of four that's going to become 12 and he's going to do all that teaching. The disciple means those who follow him, dig? Okay, so that's who we're talking to. He's talking to this vast crowd of those who followed him. He's t- of, of the sick and the diseased and the struggled and the, the ones who are struggling with evil and the paralyzed and the poor and the broken and the dispossessed. He's talking to them. Jesus is not talking, using the crowd as a kind of a backdrop for some sort of esoteric kind of mystical phrases that have nothing to do with the people he's talking to. He's thinking, now this is going to go down well in on, on a tea towel. You know, oh, this is going to look good on an engraving, isn't it? Oh, this is going to like, be really, really like cool. He's actually addressing the people in front of him. He's actually saying, he's looking at the raw humanity, the poor, the downtrodden, the least, the lowest, the conquered, the suffered, the weeping, those exploited by the Roman Empire, and he's talking to them. Now, it's interesting to understand... I love a little bit of history. My son's not here, but he always loves a little bit of history. The Greco-Roman Empire had this hierarchy. I've used this before, actually. So, uh, senators and administrators, who's above that? The emperor. Below that was like the, the patricians, the nobles. And then below that, there's you lot, the plebs. <laughs> and then below the plebs, the freedmen. How does that work? And below the freedmen, the slaves... And below the slaves, foreigners. Okay? So you've got this kind of hierarchy. And so where, where are the Jews in this? They're the conquered people, the enslaved. They're, at best, they're plebs. At worst, they're outsiders. These are the lowest in society. Now, in, in Roman society... The aim of the exercise, because it was an honour and shame society, the aim of the exercise was to be where? At the top. The aim of the exercise was to climb from being a pleb, to being a citizen, to being a patrician, and sometimes you could kill someone and even make it to emperor. emperor. Your aim was to get to the top. You know, and then when you were at the top, you were, you'd be wealthy, and you'd be highly esteemed, and you'd be honoured, and people would do what you say. And when somebody disobeyed you, you would give them justice. Romans were known for their justice. But there was no regard for anybody at the bottom. I know we find that really hard to process. I've quoted from this book. There's a book that did the rounds last summer by, called Dominion by a historian called Tom Holland. And he says, you need to understand that caring for the vulnerable or caring for the poor, or for the least and the lost and the broken, is, extr- is a, sh- a uniquely Christian idea. That was never part of the Roman culture. The way you showed that you were on the top was to crush those below. And so the sense of that, that, that what was promoted in, in, in Roman culture was blessed are the wealthy. 
Blessed are the nobles. Blessed are the patricians who get a vote in the Senate. Blessed, blessed are those who, who win, con- win warfare and, and wage warfare against their enemies. Let, they'll enter the city in triumph. Those are the blessed ones. And the despised and the low and the least, they're not blessed at all. And actually, our society is not really that much different. We could put in different categories. I, I, I could have fun with it, but I'd offend you. Uh, so let's not. But you could put in different categories, you know, and, and you could almost say, in our society, it, 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 it's blessed, honoured are the successful. Honoured are the wealthy. Success and wealth are not wrong, by the way. Just in case you think this is some sort of lefty sermon, you know, I know people think I'm a little bit that way. It's not. It's, we honour the successful, we honour the wealthy, we honour the go-getters, we honour the entrepreneurs, the self-promoters, the self-made. We, we, we honour the winners, don't we? Emma Raducanu, we love you now. You know, she's gone from, like, nobody following her on Twitter to, like, I mean, even over the weekend, she's gained 100,000 followers on Twitter. How do I know? Because I've kept checking back. You know, I'm just like, wow, we love winners. We love winners. We'll honour the winners. And, we, and, and, we, and blessed are the ones with social status. Blessed are the ones with nice houses. Blessed are the ones with nice jobs and nice cars. Blessed are the ones who are esteemed. Blessed are those people. And we're just the same. And Jesus, in a revolutionary moment, looks upon the crowd who are the, the, the nobodies, the least and the lost, and calls them blessed. Dallas Willard, uh, in his book, uh, Divine Conspiracy, which is a pretty old book now, but it's a great book. He, he has long chapters on, on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. He, 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 he summarizes in his own words. He puts, Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived, the deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion, when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. Jesus is looking out at the people eminently unqualified, eminently unqualified to receive blessing. And he says to them, blessed are the poor, or blessed are the poor in spirit. He looks at people in the crowd, he almost sees individuals in the crowd that he knows, that he's encountered, that he's prayed with, that he's healed, and he says, he says blessed, blessed are the poor. Look at Stan, he's not poor, but we'll pretend he is. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you when, you, when, when poverty has crushed your spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. He knows those whose, those whose lives have been marked by tears of, as oppressed as in the bottom of the Roman Empire. He knows that. Blessed is when your life's marked with tears. Blessed are you when people think you're worthless, when they, they disregard you as somebody as nothing. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you think... This world is not how it should be. You know, I feel the weight of being at the bottom. I feel the, the, the weight of the broken world and the injustice. I feel the injustice. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for the world to be made right. Blessed are you when you're merciful, though, even though you're abused, you don't abuse others. Blessed are the pure in heart. I think maybe he looked out in the crowd. As a, there's one guy in John's Gospel called Nathaniel, uh, who's, who's called later on. But uh, Nathaniel, maybe, maybe Nathaniel was in the crowd and he says, I saw you under the fig tree. And he said, there's no deceit in you. So maybe he looked out and he said, blessed are the pure in heart. 
You know, blessed are you when your life's uncluttered and unclouded by self-centered motives. When, when even though you've got every reason to say, I want to fight my corner, I want to become a zealot and kill the Romans. No, my motives have stayed pure. Blessed are the peacemakers when, when you've been oppressed again and again and again and you've just thought, no, I don't want to, I don't want to kill them, I, I, want to, I want to be different. Blessed are the persecuted, you, 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 being persecuted by the Romans, I know you. And I think as Western thinkers, we tend to see this as a, a list of separate categories. You know, pure in heart, peacemaker, persecuted, mourning. We see them as kind of separate categories. But actually, I think it's one category. It's this category of humanity, this category of, 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 of broken humanity. It's a, a, it's a category that's been, been called by Jesus and healed by Jesus in that crowd and embraced by him and delivered and felt the touch of his hands. It's that category. So I was, I was thinking of, uh, of an illustration, and then I must admit, I, I, I stole it from someone else. So I was listening to Tim Mackey. Have you, anyone know the Bible Project? A guy called Tim Mackey, I, I love the way he is. Uh, it seems like all the great preachers come from Seattle, but anyway, so there's him and John Mark Comer. I think they did a thing the other week. I was like, I must, must get that. But yeah, Tim Mackey, and he was talking on this passage, and he said, the way to understand the impact of this is to look at this, art, these artists. Now, I don't recommend you go on and look at these artists. They're actually called... Uh, Tim Noble and Sue, Webs- Sue Webster. They're actually kind of anarchist artists. You know, and, and a lot of their art is a little bit kind of, let's say, aggressive and in your face. Everyone's going to be Googling it now. Who <laughs> um, They've got some weird stuff. But he said he saw, some, he saw an exhibition by them in New York many years ago. And, and he said, you go to this exhibition. Don't put the picture up yet. Go to the... Had he put it up already? He had, hadn't he? Okay, so what you see, okay, put it up. Story's broken, put it up. Okay, so it's a bit blurred because I couldn't get a better picture. But basically, on the front, on the front, there's like a table of rubbish, yeah? There's a table of rubbish, and it's all shot through with BB guns, and it's kind of just this, what old Coke cans and bits and pieces, and you come into the room and you kind of look at the, you look at the, the, the installation, you think, well, what is this, a load of rubbish? Yeah? And then they turn off the lights and turn on this light, and suddenly you see, New York. <laughs> you know, oh, this one. Shoot, bin bags, McDonald's, packaging, whatever. And you just think, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. And then you turn on the light and you see People. And it's like, aha, surprise. Tim Mackey brilliantly says that, that, that that's a brilliant illustration of what Jesus was doing. He's addressing this, the, the, the kind of so-called detritus of society, the rubbish of society, the stuff that nobody wants. And then he turns the light on and says, surprise, you're the blessed ones. What? I thought it was rubbish. No, you're the blessed ones. The light has shined on you. The light of the gospel, the light of Jesus shines on you, makes you blessed. And you think, whoa, surprise, mind-blowing. Dallas Willard said, 
Those blessed by Jesus are not blessed because they are in a meritorious, meritorious condition. Is it there? Did I say that right? Meritorious, thank you. You obviously went to a good uni, Ben, well done. But because, and precisely in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of the heavens has moved redemptively upon and through them by the grace of Christ. Those spiritually impoverished ones present before Jesus in the crowd are blessed only because of the preemptive grace. I love that phrase. The gracious touch of the heavens has fallen freely upon them. In other words, we're blessed people when, when the goodness of God falls upon us, when, when, when the touch of God falls upon us, when the, the grace of God falls upon us, then suddenly we're blessed. And the interesting thing about that is that the invitation to come follow me and the invitation for blessing is actually hard to receive when you're at the top. It's hard to receive when you're at the top. And it's not that Jesus doesn't reach people at the top of the social hierarchy. You know, he says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because also at the sense at the top, you've, you've got something to lose. You, you've got something where you think, if I enter life in the kingdom with all this, you know, what about my status? What about my priorities? What about my life? What about... What about my nice house? What about all those things? And not that any of those are wrong. But in one sense, Jesus asks you to say, well, if you come with nothing, it's easy to say, I'm going to put you first. If you come with empty hands, it's easy to say, I'm going to put God first. But if you come with hands that are full, it's hard to put things down and say, I'm going to put you first. In other words, the blessing, the invitation is easy to accept when you're, when you're hungry and starving. You know, invitation to, to food is easy to accept when you're hungry and starving. But when you've got plenty of good food, you say, well, I'm not sure. You know, is it going to be vegetarian? I might not be there. You know, I'm not so quite sure. I'm into that kind of what, you know, is there going to be lots of meat? Yeah, I'll probably I'll come. You know, and, 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 it's, and the invitation is easy to accept or easy to accept when you've got nothing. And the invitation to the, enter the kingdom uh, finds hard hearts and deaf ears when we're too invested in the blessings of our own lives. And God does this this way. He does it this way. I mean, I'm not. Oh, this is. I probably shouldn't do this. Probably shouldn't say this, but I will. I, you know, when I was in Manchester, when we were doing church in Manchester. It, and, and, and I, you know, I'm from Yorkshire, but I did love it in Manchester in many ways. There was a, there was a sense with Manchester where people would be very friendly to, to start with, and then there was this place where you, could, you couldn't really reach in. And, and the gospel was, didn't really, couldn't get in. There was a kind of an exterior that was hard often, particularly in the, in the poor, because life had been hard on them. But when the gospel got through that, they received it like with joy. You know, the best story, ministry story perhaps in my life is this one guy who'd been in prison, been done for drug dealing and robbery, had been in prison, come to, came to the church in Manchester and, um, and just got miraculously saved. And then his, his mum, who'd had 
lots of different men and she's been abused and she was saved and then his brother was saved and then his sister was saved and then their friend was saved and it was like there was a sense where once people understood that the, the gospel was good news for them they received it with open hearts now in Cheltenham you know this is where perhaps it's dangerous the reality is we, 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 we can appear that we're really open to, the, to Jesus. We're really open to his invitation. And we're much, 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 we're not likely to tell you to get lost or whatever expletive you choose if you're from Manchester, you know. And I had people swear at me when I was in Manchester trying to tell them about Jesus. I never had anybody swear at me in Cheltenham for telling them about Jesus. It's all very nice. But when it came to the step, when it came to the invitation... It was like, no, no. You know, like the rich young ruler, he says, well, just empty your hands and follow me. And he says, he went away sad because of his wealth. Now, we're not the really, really wealthy here, but the reality is whatever your, hand is, whatever your hands are full of, to follow Jesus, you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. I mean, for Manchester, it was like the anger had to be let go. But for us, it's sometimes the comfort and the ease and the self-sufficient. We've got to let it go to receive the blessings of the kingdom because all the requirements are is that you have an empty hand. So what's really crazy about the gospel, and Paul writes it in Corinthians, I'm nearly finishing here, that it says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Hands up if you're foolish. Because if you think you're wise, the survey says, uh-uh. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Hands up if you think you're weak. Well, I think I'm quite strong, really. I can get, I'm self-sufficient. I can get through my life with a, my own efforts, my own, you know. No, you're not going to get, no, you're not going to get picked. God chose the lowly things of this world and the things, I, I love the way that Paul kind of just grinds it into the ground. The lowly things of this world. Think, yeah, I got that, Paul. And he says, the despised things. I got that. The things that are not. It's like the Arnots, you know, not the people from Toronto Church. That's an old joke. No one gets it anyway, never mind. You know, but it's the people, it's the kind of, if you said, right, I'm a nothing. Well, you're very welcome. I'm a somebody. You need to repent of that and say, he's a somebody. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Jesus does, have, you know, those, everybody who enters has to enter the same way. The rich can enter, it's just harder. The, the comfortable enter, but they've got more to give up. The, 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 low can en- the, the proud can enter, but they've got to humble themselves and follow him. And, 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 and so it's this, this is in this Beatitudes, those who are counting themselves out. Jesus is saying, come, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And suddenly Jesus is radically counting them in. And the strong and the wise and the lofty and the somebodies and the self-sufficient and the entitled who are counting themselves out in. Their very lack of awareness of their self-sufficiency was ruling them out. So how does this work then? How does this blessing and this economy of blessing that's coming to the people that don't deserve it, how does that come? You know the answer and it probably doesn't shock you anymore. But there was a guy. There was a guy who for our sakes although his rich became poor. There was a guy who humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant and became meek and lowly in heart. There was one who was deeply merciful and moved with compassion to forgive and heal. 
There was a guy who mourned at the grave of his friend and wept over the hard-heartedness of Jerusalem. There was one who was persecuted, even when his heart was pure, even at his trial. The judge says, I find no fault in him. There was one who was persecuted and crucified to reconcile sinners to God, the ultimate peacemaker. There's one who cried out in thirst on the cross, broken because he hungered and thirst to bring righteousness to a broken world. The reason why we get it for free is because he embodies the very lowest and the least and the lost. He was despised and rejected, acquainted with suffering and grief. We quoted this last week, and actually I think it links together quite well. It says, Thomas Goodwin from 15-whatever-it-is, 1651. Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting us, the members of his body here on earth. You know, that's what we said last week for the joy set before him. It's because he wanted to reach those people that had nothing. Those people that weren't qualified, the people that were distinctly outsiders. And so what comes to the followers of Jesus? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They'll be comforted. The Spirit of God will come and comfort them. They'll inherit the earth. The whole earth belongs to the people of the Lord. They'll be satisfied. He says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. You'll be shown mercy. We're shown mercy from God. We get to see God. We get to be called the children of God. We get to rejoice and be glad because great is our reward in heaven. We're going to break bread in a moment. And the invitation to the life of a disciple still stands. It's simply, come follow me. Come follow me. Now, if you've not ever become a Christian, if you've never, ever said, that's me, I bring nothing, but I want him, then we'd love to pray for you this morning. We'd love to pray for you this morning. We'd love to invite you for the first time, perhaps, to, break, to come and take break bread. Or maybe if you've taken it before and you haven't ever said, Jesus, I'm following you, I, I repent, I turn from my hands that are full of other things and embrace you with empty hands. If you've never done that, when the encouragement is to come. But the challenge is we think that's, that's it. You're in. You're a Christian now if you've done that. And, you know, you'd, you'd, but the invitation goes out every day. What's your life like? Is your hands, are your hands full or empty? When you come to him, you don't say, well, I came to him empty at the start, but now I'm full and sorted, I don't need him. You're supposed to come to him, that is the journey every day. That's the discipleship journey every day. The discipleship journey every day is, I need you. That's why we finished last week, I need you. The discipleship journey is that I'm a lifelong follower and I come with nothing each day, no merit to receive your grace. When you open the Bible, you don't think, well, I'm a, I, I've, I've, you know, I've preached a lot of sermons, and I know my Bible quite well, so, so I come with a little bit of merit, Jesus. You open your Bible and say, 
Speak to me. Pour your words of life into me. Bless me as one of your children. Make my heart pure. Forgive my sins and put mercy in me in a way that's transforming and flows out of me. You do that every day. Every day. You don't climb some spiritual hierarchy so that if you get to kind of small group leader, church, elder, then you really are qualified and God's really, really for you. We all come in every day at the bottom. So I want us as we come and break bread to say, Jesus, I follow you today. Is that all it is? There's nothing to do? No, there's nothing to do. Apart from say, Jesus, I want you. And what we'll do is we'll find over the weeks to come that commitment will, will impact our relationships and our, our money and our, and our time and, and what we do and we'll suddenly find the, the rubber of coming with open hands. Jesus challenges all of our presuppositions. But let me finish with this quote. Band, you come back. Come quick, because I've left you three lines to come back. Dallas Willard says this. A disciple is a lifelong learner, a student, an apprentice, a daily practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are people who, don't, who do not just profess certain views. Well, I'm a Christian. I agree with that. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. They don't just profess certain views, but they apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of heaven to every aspect of their life on earth. This stuff, this blessing that comes for free, impacts every aspect. It should shape who you are and how you think about yourself and how you think about your time and how you think about what's really and truly the good life and how do you really live it. So this is an invitation to come follow me. Come to the good life of the kingdom. We're going to break bread now. We remember him who, who became poor, who mourned, who was persecuted, who was crushed, whose body was broken, who hungered and thirsted for righteousness to make the broken world new.